Welcome to Get A Move On, the podcast for movement lovers who are fed up with their injuries and want to enhance their all-round health. On this podcast, I'll help you change how you think about pain and illness so you can drop the frustration and move freely. I'm Amy, an osteopath turned yoga teacher and mindset coach. On this pod, I'll be talking about the joys of pain, injury and illness, the mind-body connection and how they relate to our movement practice so you can get a move on. Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Get A Move On with Amy Slevin. As always, I'm Jamie Slevin and I'm helping to co-host the podcast. Amy, how are you? I'm all right, thanks Jamie. How are you? I'm good. I'm relatively unstressed, which in some ways is a shame because today's topic <laughs> is about the relationship between stress and pain. Now, stress is something that we all have and pain is something we all have, but the interaction between the two isn't necessarily clear. Ames, what do I need to know about the relationship between stress and pain? Between stress and pain. Well, we're going to go with back pain for this one because it's the most common and the most, in some senses, therefore straightforward. Most people at some point in their life experience back pain. And a lot of back pain is not linked with a physical damage or a physical problem. And I've felt this myself. When I was studying osteopathy, for example, I had this like kind of like grumbling, achy lower back pain that was there for just probably the last two years of the course. And it basically went away <laughs> as soon as I qualified. Hurrah! It wasn't like bothering me that much that I felt like I needed to do something about it. It was just like every now and again, like because we were working on each other in practice, I would just, you know, really enjoy it when people would be working on my back and I didn't really think anything about it. But I did notice that it went away when I finished. A lot of the people that I worked with have had back pain. Have you had back pain, Jamie? Yeah, I don't know whether this is the correct category of back pain, but I was playing football about 18 months ago mm. and I slipped and I was the friend of someone whose game it was and I didn't want to let someone in to score a goal. So I sort of grabbed them by the ankle in kind of a very reactionary <laughs> way and they tripped and they put their standing foot on my lower back and it was a full weight. And even now, 18 months on, it's a little bit numb and that sounds ridiculous, but the area that they stepped on is still a bit numb. I couldn't sleep for a few days because the pain was so bad. Interesting. Yeah, so that's my only real splash in back pain. Okay, so that was like obviously like a real injury, which does happen. Yeah, sometimes people do have a real injury. And sometimes back pain comes from doing things so simple like hoovering or gardening. Where you're basically doing something that isn't really big enough or forceful enough to really create some kind of actual damage. Even in this case... Even though it was clearly the result of someone just standing on my back, the fact he stood on my back was because I was so uptight about not wanting to embarrass myself at football and not wanting the guy to score that I thought uh -huh. I'm going to take kind of quite strange, quite eccentric action. Uh -huh. And then the pain is like, oh, you probably don't need to be so uptight, mate, about goals going in the five sides. Well, indeed, there was a lesson for you there, huh? A lot of the time, the ages of which most people experience back pain especially long-term back pain, are between the ages of 18 and 65. What are you doing in your life between the ages of 18 and 65? This feels like a question on Mock the Week. <laughs> Isn't this Mock the Week? Uh, your producer fell through for you. This is get to move on. Shit. I think people work, Ames. Yeah. And there is a distinct correlation between the incidence of back pain and when we have the biggest responsibility in our lives. Hence, stress is going to enter the picture. 
Uh-huh. Responsibility and stress that comes with responsibility. And obviously the way in which our lives have changed over the last 50 years or so, we're moving a lot less. We have much more responsibility than we used to have because of the way that our lives have become so separate from community, for say, as we have to do a lot of stuff just by ourselves, which compounds our stress, which compounds our responsibility and therefore can bring in some cases, some sort of physical pain. Sometimes it is an avoidance of an uncomfortable emotion that we don't really feel like paying attention to because that would be too difficult and too painful. Question, when we set manifests in the back, for example, Mm -hmm. is it that you could go into a CT scan? I don't know what x-ray machines measure backs. We've got CT scans, x-rays, MRIs. Okay, so you pick your favorite back one. I'm imagining it's a menu and it's everyone goes to their preference. <laughs> Would that be picked up? So you, you initiate mm-hmm. back at osteopathy school and then osteopathy school finishes and it disappears. God, and they say osteopathy doesn't work. Haha. <laughs> no, <laughs> but the point being, everyone has the sense of pain being physical, but you had a pain mm-hmm. and now you don't have a pain without mm-hmm. changing the structure or the physical stuff. Mm-hmm. Can that difference be tracked or followed by a CT scan or an x-ray, etc.? You can't really see it. So a lot of the time people have back pain and they have all of these investigations, all the scans, and there's nothing to see. So that's the case in at least 50% of people. And they find it incredibly frustrating. And of course it is frustrating because they're like, well, hold on, this is really hurting me. There's obviously something going on. Why is it not showing up on a scan? And the answer is that there is nothing physically wrong. There's nothing damaged that's causing the pain. Okay, in that case, Mm. when we have undiagnosed pain syndrome, which is a diagnosis with the word undiagnosed in it, (laughs) is that then, in your view, something that could be explained away by having a good old look at your psychology? In most cases, yes. So a lot of the time when we don't know the cause of something or if something's what's called idiopathic, which means we don't know what's causing it, the cause is something psychological. And people hate that. And I understand why, but it's because they basically think that they're being told that they're crazy or that they're making it up, neither of which are true. The pain is real. We can't see any specific structural situation that could be causing that pain. So the characters that are involved in medicine, the personalities, mm-hmm. they tend to be fairly by the book. And that's a good thing because they have to do a lot of work at medical school and you want people who are fairly by the book. But I imagine there are people who might also be reluctant to internalize the message of, well, when the structures don't reveal the thing, it might be that psychology has something to say. And the same qualities that make them good doctors in some ways might make them unopen-minded or unadventurous in others. Is that fair enough? There is something to say for that. And I think medical doctors are kind of conditioned to try to look for some kind of chemical, physical cause of anything. And when they can't find it, they just put it down to, we don't know. There are people like Dr. John Sarno who wrote a book called The Mind-Body Prescription. And he did a lot of work into mind-body stuff, like working with people who have pain for a long time. And a lot of it was unexplained. People were having CT scans, MRI scans, x-rays, whatever, and they had nothing on the scans. Their backs were perfectly fine, but they still were in immense pain. I don't know exactly what his research was, but he basically just realized, okay, so the mind and the body are intricately linked and therefore 
there is something going on. And he put it down to like suppressed rage. And he said that a lot of people with chronic pain have suppressed rage. And if they release the rage, then the pain goes away, which is kind of part of the story. We've kind of come to realize now that it's very nuanced and it's very much specific to the person. So some people might have suppressed rage. Other people might have some sort of like childhood trauma. Some people might have, like in my case with my knee, it was like frustration. Like my knee was the site of my frustration. Some people are just going through something in their life that's quite stressful and it manifests in their back. Yeah, it's so interesting because when we, you talk about having pain or being tense, I mean, actually the best one is, you know, when stress puts you in a bad mood and you're sharp and like someone could say something only slightly irritating and you're irritable. And then the same is true of when you're in slight pain, you know, if you have a toothache and all of a sudden you're on edge. It makes you fucking grumpy. It makes you fucking grumpy. And it's so obvious that pain is influencing your moods there. We're sort of trying to make the opposite case in some ways and say, well, actually, your mood and mood isn't the right word as much as having a really tough time psychologically, be it childhood trauma or frustration or anger can influence your body. And we're basically saying that the pain to mood diagnosis, which we're all happy to live by, it works the other way just as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a lot of people who have pain that I work with have tricky relationships with the people around them because they're in pain because they're kind of lashing out because of the pain you know giving their partners their family whatever a hard time because of the pain that they're in and that's not their fault it's just like uh, you would do <laughs> like if you're like oh for fuck's sake like i've got this fucking problem it's really annoying i have a question if someone is constantly stressed and that doesn't manifest into pain how do you explain the fact that it doesn't manifest into pain, given the relationship between pain and stress? This is something I think about a lot. <laughs> it's something that I was constantly questioning. I mean, basically the answer is I don't know. But when I was doing my mind-body training and we were going through all of the conditions of like, okay, well, if you have like gallbladder issue, it means that the psychological cause of it is X, Y, and Z. You're sitting there thinking, how the fuck am I still alive? Because I have all of these psychological issues. I don't have these symptoms. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that one definitely always causes the other. Yeah, just a brainstorm here for a second. Mm. I'm trying to think about times I've been really stressed. And there's been zero times that's happened that hasn't manifested in the body in some significant way. It might not have been pain in terms of like that's back pain or that's a cool bladder. If ever I've been really stressed, you almost take it for granted that it manifests physically. Oh, really? I don't think a lot of people do. Well, I think the reason I don't notice it is because it's so obvious. You know, like well, if you're stressed, you have almost by definition a fight or flight thing happening. Yeah, in some circles, it's such a taboo. Sometimes like I've spoken to people and I hint that their pain might be caused by something other than a structural issue and they get really upset with me. Maybe it's the way I'm saying it. Maybe it's that they just don't want to hear it because they think that they're being told that they're crazy. No, yeah, it fucking sucks. I think you either get a different reaction if in one breath you could say yeah this is what's happening but also that's a liberating message because i think people hear it and they go oh for fuck's sake well, i'm not gonna be able to deal with that so therefore you're condemning yes. me to inevitable pain therefore yes. fuck you amy yes and you're saying that i'm doing this to myself it then becomes something from a message of hope of don't worry your body is fine becomes okay your body is fine but your mind is fucked and that becomes as you said like a different and a slightly more overwhelming problem they're like well how the fuck do i help myself that's where i come in of course i think the problem to link the two together is yeah. people go to doctors who do brilliant work but they have an intuitive sense that the doctor's expertise ends at the physical stuff 
presuming you're not going to a psych psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, thank you. Or a um, psychologist. Presuming you're not going there, you yeah. have an intuitive sense that the doctors, i.e. the people who can help fix the thing, yeah. are physical. So now if someone else says, well, it's not really physical, you might not have met Amy, you might mm -hmm. not be familiar with the work Amy and other Amys do, mm -hmm. albeit we're particularly interested in this Amy, and yeah. therefore it's a frustrating message because it's in some ways condemning. It's condemning yes. to a lifetime of struggle. And if Misery. you've had backache for any long period of time, and I've had it for a short period of time, mm. I would also get irritated at someone who I perceived was sort of implicitly, yeah. even if I didn't articulate it quite in this way, was telling mm -hmm. me there's nothing you can do because also it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a very, very delicate subject. And I think part of the reason I wanted to do the podcast is to help myself learn how to communicate better about it because it is such a delicate subject and I guess the key thing really is kind of two things at the same time which are quite contradictory one of them is like you're not crazy because you have pain although we're all fucking crazy <laughs> like, we're all human beings who are a bit messed up yeah there's a bit the school of life Alain de Breton he's really good and he did a Love thing him. about how like honest dating should go and the first question you should ask is apparently so what are your particular neuroses and how are you best dealing with them such that you don't project your <laughs> shit into the world which is like you know people say how many references can you get into one little bit david mitchell did a sketch show and on it he takes the piss out of people who said they hate small talk he's like okay let's just have gigantic talk then let's go straight in with like glacial talk and we're not going to start to discuss anything apart from depression and the cosmos. There is something to everyone just being slightly yeah, that way. Definitely. I mean, I totally agree that like, you know, when you're going for a date or starting off a new relationship, like, fuck, don't fucking play your best card straight away. Hold that shit back. It's like when you have sex with someone for the first time, you don't give them the best shit on the first time because you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, I got fully the opposite problem. <laughs> I'll bet you do. <laughs> but like, you basically want to hold something back so that what do you do on like the second time? If you gave it all on the first one, you know, you're creating disappointment there. <laughs> At this stage of the podcast, it always slightly descends, doesn't it? This is about right. This is about all. Well, isn't that why people are listening? Yeah. <laughs> they're listening for this shit going back to the subject of uh, stress and pain i think it is such an unpopular thing that doctors don't know how to handle it a lot of them they don't know how to communicate with their patients that they think that maybe the problem is stress related or when they do it's met with hostility and so people often don't end up getting the right care they end up getting painkillers and there's like this whole kind of funny dynamic between patient and doctor where because of the education that both have had and the idea that like all pain is really bad we should get rid of pain straight away instantly there's no value in pain let's just give you a painkiller to make it go away and then we end up a while later because we're not addressing the actual problem which was the stress in the first place people end up addicted to opioids and still in pain a long time later having had three or four surgeries that have not really resulted in any change in their pain and they're just you know still addicted to surgeries and I can name many particular examples of that and I think it's a real shame and I think because of the stigma around stress being related to this people don't want to go there and I think it's a real shame 
I have a question, a very obvious question I've been holding back, which yeah. is if you have pain and you're sort of vaguely thinking it's to do with stress, having yeah. heard this, but then you're also like, well, I am fucking stressed. What do I do? What do you do? Well, I think it's important to find out specifically what the cause of the stress is. What do you feel stressed about? Are you stressed about your job? Are you stressed about money? Are you stressed about a relationship that you're having? A lot of the time it is to do with some kind of relationship. It could be like a parent relationship. Often it's like a romantic relationship. Sometimes it is feeling like you are so overloaded by what you have to do in your life. And so if you're able to go in there and then change your mindset, basically, first of all, change the meaning of the pain, because a lot of the time the meaning that we give the pain makes it worse. So if the meaning we give it is, for example, I'm weak, I'm debilitated, I can't function properly, I can't do my job properly, I can't do the stuff that I love to do, that becomes more stressful and more painful than if we just have pain. Interesting. So pain doesn't happen in a vacuum, really. I may have mentioned this before. For example, in one of the world wars, I can't remember if it was World War One or Two, the conditions of the fighting soldiers in the trenches or the fields, wherever it was, were so horrific that if people did get a very life-changing, debilitated injury, doctors in the hospital tents were finding that those patients did not have pain. And the reason they did not have pain, despite their limb having been completely torn off or whatever, was because the meaning of that injury meant that they could go home, which was a relief compared to having to be in that horrible situation on the front line. Jesus, no, I mean, you have the literal example of it in terms of people who shot themselves in the foot. What was it called? The ones who gave themselves foot drop. Is foot drop a bullet in the foot? It sounds like an infection cream. (laughs) No, it's people used to shoot themselves in the foot and go home injured. Okay, is that where it comes from? I don't know. I've never heard foot drop before. (laughs) I'm going to have to Google quickly. So, I mean, that's a really good example because being shot in the foot is no fun. But people were willing. I mean, maybe willing is an overstatement, but the fact that they were doing it... Well, if they did it, they were willing. Yeah, exactly. It's no surprise to me that people would get injured but think, oh, thank God. And really, the injury, the meaning of the injury, it'd be a means to the end of being safe, leaving the fields, going back to your gal back home. (laughs) Yeah, and safety is such a big thing. So a lot of the time, part of the stress is that we don't feel safe in something. So there's the responsibility, there's the difficult relationship with whoever, and there's also a sense of, I don't feel safe in whatever situation. I don't feel safe in my body. I don't feel safe in my life. Something, whatever it is, it's very nuanced and very personal to each person. If we're able to look for where we do feel safe, like where is the safety around me? Is it as simple as I have a roof over my head? Yes, I am safe. Therefore, am I able to feed myself? Yep, that is a sense of safety. So you kind of look for these kind of basic things, like do I have warm clothes to wear? Yeah. So all of these like very basic safety things that make us feel safe look for the people around you who make you feel loved and sometimes we are in a state where we don't feel that way and it makes it harder to look but you have to really look hard and when you do look hard then you find it and you find those people who are showing you care they're showing you love and making you feel safe and so you want to try and find the safety which is a huge huge thing when it comes to pain and back pain in particular 
Yeah, it's such an interesting relationship. And it's one where the specifics of like what's causing you the pain slash stress slash both slash they're causing each other ends up being ID specific to you, which is why you need to end up spending some time working out what's going on. And probably why doctors, even if they were willing, wouldn't necessarily be able on the time they have to do it. Exactly. And, you know, it can be scary to go there, you know, and then going there (laughs) is scary. And then you're like, I feel unsafe again. And then you often get a pain flare up when you start to delve and do this stuff. And that's fine. Like, at least, you know, in that situation, the reassuring thing I always think is, and I tell people is that your pain flare up is kind of almost like a good sign that we're getting there, that we're finding the right thing rather than beating around the bush or kind of going completely off piste or off the right track. Yeah, because if your attention is shining a spotlight on the thing, and by the thing, I don't mean the pain, I mean the issue causing the pain, it's exacerbated. That's why people say, go distract yourself if you're feeling bad. This is the opposite and therefore it makes sense that there's a flare up. We need to go towards the discomfort and towards whatever it is that is not feeling good, like going towards the trigger in order to heal the trigger. We can't heal it by avoiding it. Yeah, and I think that's a great place to leave it for today. So thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Get to Move On with Amy Slevin. Thank you. And as always, we'll see you next week. Bye. That was Get to Move On with Amy Slevin. If you enjoyed that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. And if you didn't enjoy that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. Thanks for listening.